Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest running football show. My name is Jack Donnelly and on today's show we'll be recapping the first weekend of the new Premier League season, looking at the biggest results from the Scottish Premiership and taking a look around Europe to pick up on the biggest news from the continent. As always, I'm joined by Struan Garvey alongside Jamie McIntosh and Sean McGill in what could end up being a semi-permanent lineup for the for the roundup, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, we've had our numbers almost halved in terms of uh, co-host potential as Taylor, Ra- Taylor, Raff and Graham are all in classes on Monday, which is just selfish from them, if, if I'm being completely honest. But I, I, like, I like to think we keep the best of the best on this show and that's why I've drafted these three in. Unfortunately, Cameron Monstall didn't make the cut, but that, that was his own fault for not replying quick enough. <laughs> uh, as always, we start our show with the big question, and this week's comes after Sunday night's League on Action produced a real Puskas award contender as breast striker Irvin Cardona seemed to defy gravity to score an absolutely incredible volley against Dijon. I say Puskas contender, it will lose out to Salah Tappen against Newcastle, but it's, it's the people's Puskas winner. <laughs> Uh, it brought about a fairly simple question for you boys. What is the best goal you've ever seen? And I want a goal that you've seen in the flesh and one you watched from home. I'll, cu- I'll come to Jamie for this one first because I feel like he's been ab- about the grounds a fair bit to see some good goals. Um, goodness, right. I think in the flesh, I would. I mean, I've got to pick a Hearts player on that. I mean, in the flesh, it's got to be Bazanic's goal in the Derby last season. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just such a good goal. It's just he, I just don't know how he done it because, ironically, he's not. He wasn't really that highly rated among the kind of Hearts support. He was all right, but like most other players in that Hearts team, they weren't really given much uh, much credit throughout the season. And for him to get the ball past them and just to side foot it almost first mm-hmm. time with the left foot, just dipped right into the top corner. Absolutely perfect. Um, so I'd say that's my my best goal in the flesh. And probably the one that I saw on TV, Hazard scored a really good one against uh, against Arsenal as well, which mm-hmm. I, I, remember I remember really that. enjoying. Um, I did enjoy that goal, but I mean that's just me being biased here off the top of my head. So I'm sure there are better goals, but for me, I'll say those two. That was that, the one he sent Coquelin to the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He, he tried to bring him down. And that, that was a fantastic effort from Hazard. I, I almost forgot about that one. I'd settled on something different, but that one's definitely up there for me. Struan, how about yourself? What, how are you feeling for this one? I think this is a question where you could ask me twice within the space of an hour and I'd have four different answers. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to think about. A United goal, a Hibs goal, a Bayern goal. Exactly. How did, how You've got too many teams to pick one. Yeah, that's the thing. In, in the flesh, in, in recent years, obviously being a Hibs fan, you don't get to see that many spectacular efforts. But I thought Stevie Mallon's in the in the Derby defeat actually to Hearts was quite a good strike. So at the <laughs> at the moment, well, what the tapping? <laughs> no, no, the 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 great wonder strike. Nah, it was a worldie. It was it was pretty half decent, but then it didn't mean anything. It was probably outdone by Hickey's as well, but there was a slight deflection. Uchi's step overs and Hickey's deflected shot. That doesn't count. Um, on on TV, I think I'd have to go with Ibrahimovic's Sweden against England. Oh yeah, and that that was uh-huh. just incredible when the ball comes out and you just think, oh, there's no way he's going to attempt that, but then it is Ibrahimovic, isn't it? And it's just, it's an unbelievable finish. Did he? Did but, he dare to Zlatan, as the saying goes? Oh, I, I think he did too. I think he did. I don't know if there's many other players who would have the, the audacity to attempt such an incredible kick, but of course, if anybody can, it's it's Zlatan. Well, we, we, we're hearing we're hearing some real 
uh, love-ins for Zlatan from Stuart this, uh, this afternoon. Sean, how about yourself? I mean, I, I have a feeling I could predict what, what we're going to hear, at least if the current agenda is anything to go by. Yeah, I really could push my hashtag Justice for McKenzie um, agenda <laughs> and keep the revolution rolling on, but um, there has been quite a fair bit of chat. There's a whole episode of Energy Extra Time which is named after that campaign, so I'll, I will avoid uh, that one for just now. I mean, uh, you do, for your own goal you've seen live, you, you are going to be tempted to step your own team, so mm-hmm. yeah. um, I'm going to go with a, a Barry Nicholson volley that I saw against Hibs. It was a 2-1 defeat, so... Um, didn't have much bearing on the Aye. result, but uh, the ball bounces 30 yards out, and I'm being quite accurate with my my measurements this time round, surprisingly. And 35 <laughs> year old Barry Nicholson at the time just absolutely smashes the ball on the volley right into the top corner. Um, just mental. I don't think I'll see a Kilmarnock player score a goal like that. Um, not for a long time, anyway. And if we're talking about TV, I don't know because you see, obviously they're always still amazing, but I try to think of a goal that. You don't, you really don't see at all, and I absolutely love that Papa Sisi goal at Stamford Bridge oh, right yeah. outside of the yeah, foot yeah, yeah. on the left hand side. Like, there's no, like, you don't see goals like that. It's the same as the goal we were talking about that's inspired this conversation. It's mm-hmm. something that, even though you're a big football football fan, it's something you just don't see. So I'll go with that one because it's an absolute cracker. I like that. Yeah, good show. I like yeah. that a lot. Uh, well, I mean, I, I was trying, I was trying to think of uh, goals that my team has scored that I'd seen. But it came came to a bit of an issue because the first thing, air are never on TV. And the second thing, they don't really score a lot of good goals. Uh, so I, or goals. Yeah, goals. Or, or, or goals, <laughs> yeah. goals, period. Uh, if, if, the, if I was to sit with my own team and pick one, I would probably go for McGuffey's strike against Hibs. But I wasn't in the flesh for that and I just saw that on TV. But I think in the flesh, I'd have to go for Matt Ritchie's goal against Poland. In the, in the two-all draw back in 2016, just uh, gave gave us hope, especially when you when we were one 0 down, I think, and then that was the equaliser. Went on to two one, and then bottled it in the last second to get nowhere near the Euros as per usual. So I'll, I'll that the one with the fan ran on the pitch for a selfie with Lewandowski at the end. Yeah, no, that sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, uh, there was that one, and on TV. I think for the for the occasion of it and for the size of the goal and what it meant and considering that it's kind of went, written its way into folklore, uh, probably Vincent Company's strike against uh, Leicester, mm. mm-hmm. 30, 35 yards out, he just lets fly, bends it, curves into the top right-hand corner, Schmeichel no chance. And considering managers, players and fans are all shouting, don't shoot, don't shoot, and... He produces that moment of magic to more or less seal the title for City. I think occasion as well as a strike that probably gets the nod for me. But if if I ever do want to score a good goal in general and I'm there for it, then I, I would be I'd be remiss to change my change my answer. Uh, we're going to start today's show with our focus on Scottish football as always. Uh, after the international break, which seemed to suggest that there was a bit of a trend of playing players out of position or leaving positions out entirely. Neil Lennon seemed to go against his own beliefs, starting two strikers against Ross County, both of whom scored, with a third striker in Padgett Kamala coming off the bench to score uh, in a 5-0 victory away at Ross County. Uh, that's three goals and three premiership appearances for Albion Ajeti now. Jamie, is he on his way to being worth the money? Um, yeah, I, I suppose. You, you can uh, ask many things of your striker, but ultimately... The main, uh, the main contribution you're looking for is goals. And um, 
as you say, he he has uh, certainly started well in that department. So I think it'll be uh, if if Edward was to to leave or mm-hmm. get injured or something, then I think we would kind of be able to judge a Jetty or Kamala on uh, on the price tag a bit more to see if they could fill mm-hmm. the fill the boots if um, Edward was was either injured or or departed the club, but. Yeah, you know, look, he's he's certainly started well at Celtic, and uh, as long as he's in amongst the goals, then um, he's he's certainly uh, pulling his weight. Talking about being in amongst the goals, uh, new boy Shane Duffy, he was grabbing headlines. He helped his boyhood club secure a clean sheet and looking very capable in doing so, and grabbing himself a goal in that five 0 win, towering over Christopher Julian to head home. Struan, could we perhaps expect a less leaky defence at Parkhead with Duffy involved, or is it going to take a bit more than one player? Uh, I, I think he'll go a long way for the club. I think he's a fantastic signing. I, th- I think I'd probably put him up there with one of the signings of the summer because I think it's exactly what Celtic needed. And, and in a sense, I'm, I'm just quite surprised they were able to get Duffy. I think in the Premier League, he's proved to be one of the most underrated centre-halves and a really strong defence with Duncan. I think coming to Celtic, you know, he's not too old as well. I believe he's only 29 in January. So I think I just I always feel with Julian, he, oh, he's almost better going forward. I think he's more of a goal threat than stopping them to be honest but I think that back three it, it it could work at times but I think Duffy is a very good signing I don't know if he's gonna solve the issues totally because I feel like there weren't too many issues just in the sense that as I said Julian I think has a mistake in him mm-hmm. but I think if if Duffy plays more often I'd probably play him and I or if it was me choosing to I think it'll help Celtic massively and, and I think Barkas as well has been quite a good signing in goals he had quite a good game of the weekend uh, I mean Sean, I just want to talk to you quickly about the way that Celtic set up for this game. I mean, Stroon said it himself, they're the three at the back, it seemed to work wonders. Uh, they've got, a, playing their second game in this game week uh, against St Mirren on Wednesday. They've then got Livingston, their Europa League qualifying game, Hibs and then St Johnston before the first Old Firm on the 17th of October. Uh, if that is going to be the game that sees Neil Lennon say, can I close the gap? After their postponement of a couple of games because of the bully bowling goalie incident, would you perhaps advise him to play the similar system if it worked this well, or do you think Lennon is more likely to switch things up more? No, I think you've got to stick with the three five two. We've been asking the question on these podcasts for weeks now: is when are, when's Lennon going to go back to the three five two? Because it was so so successful second half of last season, and when you score five goals away from home, you've got to say that it's worked. Um, I think County looked pretty decent in this game. Mm-hmm. They had quite a few chances, cut the post a couple of times. Um, so it wasn't perfect by any standards for for um, Celtic, but you'd imagine they keep going with it. The interesting thing for me is that Ryan Christie dropped out and it was a more yeah. conservative three of Cham, McGregor and Brown. Um, and we've said it as well that Ryan Christie has been a bit weird this season. He hasn't quite been uh, up to his, his, his start last year and he's been quite frustrating in, in his decision-making. So... I expect them to to stick with that um, system. The personnel might change. Christie might be drafted in mm-hmm. if they're looking to sort of break teams down more. Um, El Yunusi might feature because it's quite harsh um, seeing him out the squad. And then it was interesting to see James Forrest on the left on yeah. Saturday afternoon. So is that Greg is Greg Taylor out? Is are they going to get another left back in? So there's a lot of questions. Personnel might change, but I imagine that the three five two will be the system going forward. No, I I was surprised to see James Forrest on the on the left, especially when his uh, Scotland performances proved that he doesn't really have a left foot to mm. to rely on. That was the, his main uh, main concern. Um, moving on, and we'll look at the other side of Glasgow as Rangers ran out four 0 winners over Dundee United 
But of course, as with Rangers in recent years, the match was not without its controversy. Starting the game on the bench, Alfredo Morelos was introduced midway through the first half after Brandon Barker went down injured. But the Colombian striker was then injured himself in the 60th minute after a very reckless challenge from United's Ryan Edwards. Struan, simple one for you. Should it have been a red? Yeah, I think it's a red card. I don't think there's much malice in it. I think it's it's unintentional, but it's got to be a red card. Going that high up on the leg with studs showing, I think he's, yeah, straight up. I think that's my simple answer to it. And Jamie, what what did you make of the uh, comments that Gerard made at the full-time whistle of uh, the fact that if Morelos had committed a similar foul, he would have been a shown, shown, shown a red card instantly, but Ryan Edwards uh, escaped without even getting a booking. I feel like if I if I say what I really want to say, I'm going to get a, a bit of a a bit of a hammering off of Graham and Taylor. Do here. it. I want to, to hear. Be honest it. With you, I, I can't be bothered with all this. The old firm giving it all. Oh, we <laughs> yeah, deserve better. Yeah, like, yeah. sorry, but for someone who supports, you know, one of the one of the lesser clubs, if you like, in in Scotland, um. I do laugh when the old firm say, ah, shut up. When uh, <laughs> when the old firm kind of say, oh, you know, if this was one of us, then, you know, like Scott Brown, for example, for me, over his, over his stealthy career, Scott Brown has certainly got away with a few dodgy, uh, dodgy, yeah. dodgy challenges. And so for me, I, I can't really be bothered when uh, when the old firm try and play the victims. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, I think back on what Jamie's saying there, mm-hmm. I remember Stephen Gerrard's first game as Rangers manager and the Premiership was away to Aberdeen, and there was a, a Morelos was sent off in that game, wasn't he? I think he ended yeah. up getting rescinded. But from that very first post-match interview, Stephen Gerrard says it's always like this at Rangers. It's us against everyone else. And the fact that it was his first game as manager of the club, and he's already <laughs> with that mentality, having only been there for a couple of months, shows that it's just it's cultural in the old firm. They 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 like to form this narrative when I think a lot of the time it's actually the opposite. So mm-hmm. um, I completely agree with 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 Jamie there. Would Morelos be getting criticised in the press more than Ryan Edwards? Probably because yeah, he's got a history yeah. of it. Um, but the thing is, and Michael Stewart said it on Sports Scene that I was about to bring that up actually. It was yeah, that clip. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good point that um, if Morelos is gonna if Rangers are gonna criticise Morelos for everything that he that, that he does and all the misdemeanours that he's had, then they also can't say that he's a victim at the same time. Yeah, I think absolutely. you've got to toe a line there, and it's just um, yeah, it does get quite frustrating. I just want to bring it on to the Rangers squad in general as they could find themselves in a bit of an injury crisis. Uh, of course, Barker and Morelos were down injured, uh, but Leon Balagoon, he was injured in the pre-match warm-up and Ryan Jack was also forced off the pitch uh, against United. That leaves the four of them, plus Joe Aribo, Alan McGregor and the, uh, Sean's best friend Jordan Jones <laughs> uh, all on the physio's table are uh, injured. Sean, do you reckon we could see a bit of trouble on the horizon uh, for Rangers and the upcoming fixtures, or do we reckon Gerrard's got enough in his squad depth to handle these losses? How how would they cope without the overhit crosses of Jordan Jones? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Um, Ryan Jack's a fantastic player, and um, I think he could be a big loss if, if his injury ends up spanning a few weeks. But they do have a deep squad. Um, I think they've got a long way to improving that. The um, reported incoming signing of Daniel Johnson from Preston North End looks to be a good one yeah. got 12 goals and 8 assists in the championship last year so um, he'll really, and they need a more dynamic midfield option um, like Joe, Joe Rebo but somebody else who's an 8 who actually creates from that midfield it'll be interesting to see Rangers have had a fantastic start to the season Ryan Kent's finally playing some, some really getting involved in the goals like I think 
Rangers fans have been desperate for them to do. Um, so impressive performances. Obviously, they've got that run of clean sheets, mm-hmm. and they go to Easter Road on Sunday, which will be their first real big test. You would say. Obviously, they had Aberdeen the first game of the season, but they didn't look up to scratch um, on that day. So interesting to see. But I think they've got enough depth to to keep the run up. I I like you dropping the, the Easter Road uh, preview in there because that segues right <laughs> rightly onto uh, Hibs' match against St Mirren. Uh, they got okay. back to business with a three 0 win. Uh, over St Mirren, who have had a bit of an injury crisis of their own after losing all three of their goalkeeper options to injury. They brought in one of Jamie's best mates and Zdenek Zanwal on an emergency loan. Hibs, although they took full advantage of the situation, earning all three points. Struan, what did, what did you make of Hibs' performance over the weekend? Was it business as usual or was it just nice to see a bit more attacking threat once again? I think it was I think it was just necessary after the, the very poor performance at Aberdeen and I think prior to that as well, there were some very poor performances all around and I think mm-hmm. it just showed how big a loss Kogic was against Aberdeen mm-hmm. and to an extent as well Kevin Nisbet. I think both of them were massive losses and I think it's good. I think I think there were some lucky goals as, as we saw Nisbet's first one just kind of yeah. came off him and the um, Zamal didn't exactly... I don't know how that went in. No, I <laughs> seemed to sort of go under Zlamal. It seemed to be easier to save. I don't. I, I, honestly, I've watched that goal so many times. And at first, I thought it came off his hand, and I still don't really know what it came off. It seemed to sort of come off his hip or his knee or something. But I, I have no idea. I'm just watching a photo just now that I still on the BBC Sport website, and it's Nisbet, and the balls passes Zlamal, who's lying on the ground, and I, I just have no idea how that goal went in. To be honest, did you just say you're watching a photo? You did say well, I'm lo- uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, well, I am, wa- I'm watching a, well, I'm watching a still. I'm looking at a photo. You now. could watch a tree. Is that the correct? <laughs> watch a tree. <laughs> that what it's been like watching Goggins in the middle of the park for you this season, soon? It's a prime Roy Keane is what I've been watching <laughs> in this season in Goggins, but um, mm-hmm. I've, um, I've done. It's like maybe a striker's number nine finish or something you'd say about Kevin Nisbets it's not a it's a bit of an ugly goal but it's it's just there I thought I thought Newell's goal and, and I do mean this with all serious I'm not trying to just make a strange analogy but it was it's one of those ones you see from Tony Cruz where somebody's you kind of played it in and he, and he just one touches it into the corner he, he doesn't need massive power or height he just did the direction I think it was a really really nice goal and yeah, yeah I, th- I think this is exactly what Jack Ross needed I think the Aberdeen game was was a massive loss. It was it was a silly loss as well, but I, I keep referring to it as well. Still, uh, Hibs still haven't conceded from open play yet this season, which I think's just huge for the club so far. I think it's really really important. Just the improvements that the defence has made so far, and I, and I think that game once again showed that the four four two is the best system at the moment mm-hmm. to suit what the club have. I think with without any other central midfielders, I don't think there's many other systems that can be as effective. I think I think Rangers will be a massive test as well for the club. But I think mm-hmm. that'll be a a very interesting game to see how that goes. I was just going to say, are you com- well? I should, knowing you, I'm guessing you're not. But <laughs> yeah. are you confident for the weekend? Or Do you know, what? See, see if this was any other season, I'd be really confident the way Hibs have been going. Because I don't get, I've not had this kind of confidence in a few years that we can go out and you know win each game. But just, just the way Rangers have been playing at the moment in that squad, I just think, in my opinion, in the league, apart from a, a freak result here or there, I just think the only team who can probably match Rangers at the moment is Celtic. And I just, yeah. I, th- I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a good game. Hopefully, Rangers will concede for the first time this season. But I think, I think Rangers yeah. will just have too much quality. Just yeah, no, you, you, you say the Hibs, Hibs haven't conceded a goal from from open play. I, I think Hibs have conceded three goals. Am I right in saying that? 
Uh, yeah, two penalty targets. Chris Burke's Chris 95 yards and uh, <laughs> Livy and, Livy and uh, Aberdeen penalties, I think, yeah? Yeah, yeah those are the only three so There's far. There's Livy a penalty as well. Uh. Yeah, it was a so, And Rangers obviously haven't conceded a goal full stop. So I think it's got the makings of a really good game and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, two teams that don't concede since. <laughs> no, no, written all over it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, written all over it until it ends up like Liverpool leads with all defending thrown out the window. <laughs> we end up with a game like that. Uh, finally, I suppose we're going to touch on the last game we were going to cover for the Scottish Premiership this weekend anyway. Uh, it was a massive result in terms of what relegation could hold as Hamilton came from behind to beat Livingston 2-1 at the Old Spaghetti Had. Uh, Sean, you were at the Tony Macaroni Arena covering the game for Energy Sport, a match report for which can be found on the website right now. How did you see this one? Hamilton deserved victors in the end? Um, it was a game of two halves. I would say a lot of people around me, I was sat next to um, the radio guys and a lot, they were sort of describing it as a smash and grab from Hamilton, which I thought was pretty harsh, really. Um, first half, Livy were definitely the better side. Could have been a couple of goals up. It obviously started really, really fast. Alan Forrest looked a really good threat, which you'll be happy to hear, Jack. Absolutely. Um, and it, the, Nicky Devlin was probably their second best player as well, so it was a yeah, good day go. for, the, for the former United boys. I but, told um, you, I told you, we've got yeah, the quality. After the league, yeah, they really got to prove themselves. Um, but in the second half, David Templeton just turned it on for, for Hamilton. They smashed home their equaliser 10 minutes into the second half, and then um, he was there for the... He delivered the free kick right to the back post, which is mm-hmm. two, two goals conceded from set pieces from Livingston is not what you expect, and Gary Holt really wasn't happy about it after the game. But it's a fantastic header from eighteen-year-old Kelman Rowan, his full debut for Aki's to to header that, um, and give them Aki's a huge win. It's it's what Aki's do. I mean, I think uh, I know. I definitely said that I reckon this is the season that they go down. I think Jack, you might be in the same. I was, yeah, goal, I was, it was yeah. It's just these same, they'll just do this another five or six times throughout the season. They've already done it. A late goal against Motherwell for Park from a set piece. A late goal here against Livy from a set piece. And they'll just do that, these little away wins that will keep picking them up throughout the season. It'll end up probably being enough. Are you worried, Sean? For your um, own team? I, 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 from the start, I was never overly confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think there's still enough quality in that Kilmarnock side to see us through, but it's just creating chances. I mean, again, I don't think it was a particularly bad for performance against Aberdeen, but only one shot on target. You, you, yeah. just, you can't score goals if you're not getting shots on target. Patoji is a hard place to go. We've got a horrendous record against Aberdeen, but it starts sort of that start, starts building up. I mean, we're seven games in. We've played uh, the top four that looks set to be the top four for the season, really. Um, our next three games are against Livy, Aki's and St Mirren. So really yeah, three really big games. Yeah, yeah. if you're not picking up at least six from those, at least six from those, then I think Alex Dyer might be under some real pressure. Unfortunately, I'm not going to give you any sympathy for, for, this, for this one. <laughs> I, uh, expect, I was nice about your former air players. You were, you were. No, but I, I'm, I'm just seeing it. Like it could end up with more Ayrshire derbies if things go poorly for your boys. <laughs> this season that'd be a good laugh it'd be for good podcast content it absolutely well. I think we would have to devote a whole week to the to the to the games <laughs> the week before just because of how excited we would be nobody else would care but we would oh no absolutely care. not no, I would, no one else would have a care because hearts are probably going to go back up anyway so it's only yeah. us caring about the championship next season but that's fine Arctic Thistle will be back up potentially 
Oh, I could get Taylor involved. There you go. There we go. Or Falkirk. Or Falkirk. Is anyone, anyone That's nearly Taylor? my local. That's <laughs> <laughs> nearly your local. Support your local stream. There you go. It's another team for you. Come on, the Beanos, Sterling Albion. Uh, that brings an end to uh, the Scottish Premiership talk of the podcast today. Moving on, we have got the segment on the Premier League and what an opening weekend it's been so far. Unsurprisingly, we're starting with Saturday evening's tie at Anfield with Liverpool eventually defeating newly promoted Leeds in a back-and-forth battle that finished 4-3 to the home side. Struan, I mean, what a game it was. Uh, what, what was your kind of biggest takeaway from this one? Oh, I, I could have many takeaways. I could I could go for uh, the odd controversial shout here or there, but I, I'm do just going to say I think Leeds will do very well in the Premier League this season. I, I said uh, on one of the Premier League previews, I think they're my team to do a Sheffield United, and I think the way they came out against Liverpool, I mean, they didn't have, uh, I think they had three shots on target, three goals, but the way they played, they took them on. I, th- I think the way Jack Harrison took on Alexander-Arnold, it's just, you know, it just showed... Mm-hmm up for it I think I think both sides got quite lucky at times I think the Van Dyke mistake leading to Patrick Bamford's was you know I think that's just been a bit naive there mm-hmm. and I think the penalties especially the Rodrigo one at the end I think I, th- I think Leeds Leeds arguably could have done better because in a sense all four goals they conceded were from set pieces they just yep. didn't seem to win a second ball once in the game but I, th- I think there's a lot of players in that team who I, who I thought looked very good I thought Calvin Phillips looks excellent and I'd, I'd probably tip him to get a move to one of the big six within a season or two. I really think as well. Be, be in English as well. I think he's got that kind of... There's going to be a lot of tension going towards him and I wouldn't be surprised if his name next summer is linked with big massive moves. But yeah, I'm, I think I think Leeds are going to be a very exciting team to watch as well this season. And I think they were just very unlucky to, to come away with absolutely nothing from that game. That, that was the one thing that I remember just at the time when I was watching it, thinking, why have you given Calvin Phillips that much space? He, he got yeah. the ball out from the back and had about 10 or 15 yards he could just walk into and no one was challenging him. Switched the ball over to Harrison on the left and it was uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored an almost identical goal uh, against Liverpool back in the day. I saw the comparisons and it was the exact same, taking it down the left, cutting in on the right and just bending it in from just on the edge of the box. So just re- rewinding, uh, rewinding the clocks there for a Jack Harrison finish. Uh, Jamie, as Struan was saying there, Leeds made a real statement in the game and they might feel a bit hard done by to be on the losing side of the fixture, conceding both penalties and then from the corner, the Van Dyke header, which just had a bit too much power in it and uh, just ended up in the back of the net. But they really exploited any and all defensive frailties that Liverpool had and found real success down the left-hand side, as I said, with Jack Harrison on a night when Trent Alexander-Arnold performed nowhere near his best. Uh, I think he didn't, he didn't make a tackle and he gave away possession 25 times. Could could we see some more trouble for Liverpool defensively this season? I mean, ever since they won the league, they've just really been shipping goals. Yeah, look, the, the form really dropped off, and I think people said that it was down to the fact they had got the league wrapped up, and I think that's fair enough. I think that I don't think that's an excuse. I think that's absolutely fair enough to, to say that um, or to, to highlight that as being the main kind of reason for the dip in form. Ask me in a week again after the okay. Chelsea game, and we'll uh, I think we'll have a better idea there. I did touch on Alexander Arnold's performance for England, and he I did. said that mm-hmm. I thought he looked off, but and uh, and the, the, the game against Leeds didn't uh, didn't really do anything to change my opinion on that. So I think they do look rusty, um, which is interesting because obviously they had the Community Shield game as well, and you know huge credit to Leeds. So sometimes I think you know people were saying Liverpool played poorly. 
I didn't even think they played that bad. I no. thought there was a couple of individuals that played that bad, but I, th- I think sometimes you do need to just give credit to Leeds. So instead of saying, right, Liverpool were poor, you could say, well, Leeds were, were excellent. They got right in their faces. They were just fearless. You know, when Stroom was going on about the way, uh, or was it yourself, somebody took on Alexander-Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just fearless. No, it's nothing more to it than that. Leeds have got nothing to lose in a game like that. The first game back in the Premier League, away to the champions, just go for it. And with a manager like Bielsa, that was always what they were going to do. Um, I did have Liverpool down to win. I think I had 3-1 or something, but I said Leeds would give a really good account yeah. of themselves. Um, and yeah, I think Leeds will be the best uh, promoted team by a distance this season. No, I'd completely agree with you. I think uh, the one thing that struck me uh, was Bielsa looked absolutely furious at the end of the game to have conceded the four goals. So yeah. I think there was a point in his mind where he was thinking, We're winning the, we, we can win this game. And arguably, they really could have done. There, there were a few moments Easily, where yeah. they were just mm-hmm. one pass away from being through or, or Van Dijk or uh, Robertson was there to cover. And really, they were creating chances a lot more than what people were expecting, I believe. I mean, obviously, it was never going to be an easy game going to Anfield, but they made it look like they were really making a case for it. And up, up until they gave away that last penalty and allowed Salah to get the hat-trick, I, I really thought they still had a bit in them. I thought they did fade away slightly and they allowed Liverpool yeah, to Yeah, last 10 minutes, I thought I thought it was a really end-to-end game mm-hmm. apart from the last 10 minutes where I thought Leeds were kind of hanging on a little bit. Um, obviously, they've got, I think it's Fulham at home next week. So, look, if they can um, get themselves the, their first three points, they'll feel a lot better. And uh, I think this first game will be forgotten about if they get three points next week. And I think when Fulham are allowing... Uh, was it Rob Holden? A Rob Holden to... Go on a Thierry Henry-esque Venture run, keep you up through the whole park. I, I think Leeds, Leeds will be fine next week. I think that's almost three points guaranteed if you, if you, you want to you stick money so? on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know it was Arsenal playing Fulham, but they just looked just non-existent on the pitch, really, and I think Liverpool, uh, Leeds rather will have an absolute field day with that if they can put a performance like that in against Liverpool. Uh, moving on, we'll go to their cross-city rivals in action, uh, Everton. They had a new-look midfield proved to be far too much for Spurs to handle as they ran out 1-0 winners, courtesy of a Dominic Calvert-Lewin header off a peach of a cross from Lucas Digne. Sean, uh, James Rodriguez, James Rodriguez, rather, he matched Alexis Sanchez in terms of creativity in a Premier League debut. There's not been a player that's been more creative in a debut than those two. Uh, he really ran the show from the middle of the park for the Toffees. Is he looking to be a bargain from the word go, as Taylor mentioned? Yeah, he does look a very good signing. He, he, I think he was lacking a little bit of sharpness and um, he probably have to get up to speed with the Premier League a little bit, but um, he, at times he looked like he was kind of walking it, just the the, the crispness of his passing, the uh, intelligence to know where his teammates were, despite having not a lot of time to work with them, really. It uh, was really impressive and... Um, I've been critical last season about Everton's midfield options. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, so uninspiring, so slow, and the sort of the intelligence and the pace that they've put into that midfield. Allen was man of the match, and I thought he had a fantastic game. Um, Jacory's a great signing; was one of the few uh, bright sparks for Watford last season. And obviously, you've got an absolute star in James Rodriguez. So, really exciting times for them. Um, I, I do want to praise Everton for the performance yesterday, yeah. but. I think we should just ban Tottenham Hotspur from being on the television because honestly, they're so bad to watch. Like, oh, you've got a really entertaining documentary. Well done, lads. But in terms of playing football on the pitch for ninety minutes, they're such a bad watch these days. And Pochettino, 
era, you always knew you were getting a good game of football. Mm. You always knew that something interesting would happen. And it's just so, so drab. And um, yeah, I'm not racing to, to watch Spurs games anymore because it's just so uninspiring. Do you think, uh, think that- uh, whoever at the club read the fine print for the Amazon documentary, The Contract, that is where Spurs fans get their entertainment from this season? It must be. They, they play that dire yeah. football and every, any entertainment value comes from those episodes. Uh, I was actually just about to jump on to Spurs and bring Jamie in because he was quite vocal in the group chat about uh, Jose's Tottenham and was less than impressed by new signings Matt Doherty and Pierre Hoybier. Uh, what really went wrong for Spurs on Sunday, Jamie? If anything did go wrong, or were they just very poor in general, just bad to watch? Yeah, I thought they were just brutal, to be honest. Um, I said in the last game, Liverpool leads that sometimes you do need to give credit to the opposition. Uh, in that case, it was Leeds. Everton were good, yeah. Um, I well, I was, I wasn't critical. I was, I said that Allen would be my flop of the season. He did, and he's got man of the match on uh, on debut. So that to- tells you all you need to know. Tells about you how knowledgeable, how knowledgeable <laughs> I am. Allen listens. That's um, that's what it tells you. <laughs> so look, yeah, hats off. I thought Everton's uh, three new signings were 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 all excellent. Um, couldn't fault them. Um, I think Sean's right about Rodriguez lacking a bit of sharpness, but it's great for him to to see him get 90 minutes under the belt. He was replaced in, in stoppage time by Tom Davis just to kind of run the clock down, but really good debut for him. And uh, yeah, really exciting things for Everton. But as for Tottenham, I thought they were awful. I thought they were just absolutely terrible. Hoiberg really struggled on debut. Harry Winks is like the most boring player I think I've ever watched. He's just a slightly younger Mark Noble. He just passes it sideways and backwards. and he's, he can. The only difference is he can just run a wee bit quicker maybe. Um, Matt Doherty, we touched on on one of the previews about how Wolves, the, the style of play under Nuno and the the, um, the difference that it was going to be under Mourinho. And look, you could see it right from the start. The commentator on Sky Sports, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Gary Neville, yeah, said that he was so high up the pitch and he was too high up the pitch. And it was Richarlison that was playing out in the left. And uh, if, if they could break away, you know, Richarlison had a couple of chances where he, really did, didn't he? You know, he just faced them up and, you know, just Doherty was beaten um, showed him inside almost every time and Richarlison had a couple of identical efforts in the second half um, when he just tried to curl the right foot around it and whip it into the far corner but couldn't quite find the corner but look Tottenham just need to do much better um, and I don't really know what they changed to be honest I, I really fancied Tottenham to beat Everton on Sunday and uh, I really thought Harry Kane would have been a good pick my pick was 2-1 and Kane to, Kane to, to be the key mm-hmm. player but I, you know, I just kind of look at the bench, and I, I think it looks pretty uninspiring as well. Yeah, you know, you've got does. Sanchez, who's a centre back. Joe Hart, Sissoko, Bergwijn came on, didn't really do an awful lot for me. You got uh, Serge Orio and Orio, Orio, <laughs> and in uh, Dombele, who's um, I thought looked pretty overweight, to be honest. Mm. Um, I thought in Dombele looked like he'd, he'd really put a bit on and looked a bit looked a bit rusty. So uh, it looks a really uninspiring. Training session with Mourinho in the park over lockdown didn't do him any <laughs> Look, Spurs, they just need to be better. They just need to improve a lot. And I don't know where they go from here. Hoybjerg as a signing. I don't really know. They were clearly looking for somebody to sit in front of the, the kind of back four to maybe protect the centre-backs a bit more. If the idea was Davis and Docker to play much higher up the pitch and, and Hoybjerg to kind of almost drop in as a third kind of centre-back, if you like. I don't know. I, I would love to know Mourinho's thoughts after mm-hmm. that one, though. But the thing with you saying that about Hoiby is, what does Harry Winks do? He kind of does that. What does Eric, Eric Dyer do? He kind of does that. Suzuko's just kind of like a destroyer, just sort of like 
uh, running about and then and Dombley's only uh, he's overweight but he's the only sort of interesting player in that yeah. Spurs sort of mm-hmm. midfield of central midfield options for me. obviously they've got lots of talent going forward but if you can't get the midfield to find good balls to these attacking players yeah. then... there's a lack of creativity definitely 100%. you don't need me to tell you that I think that was pretty apparent between Absolutely. A, a Winks and Hoybeard kind of two in, two in midfield I think they're very Hoybeard's a bit more of a hard man probably but it's a bit like the same at Chelsea you know you kind of had centre mids that were all kind of doing a similar job yeah, for a wee while Jack you know I think it's it's relatively similar and I, I don't know I think we need a couple of new signings to be honest or else they'll, they'll have a really mediocre uh, a really mediocre season and that, that that wasn't me launching launching something across the, <laughs> uh, the, tel- the Chelsea phone. That, that was, was Mourinho was... listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that that bit where he switches off the TV and says a word you're not allowed to say. That was us. We're, so, we're sorry, Jose. Don't don't take it personally. Uh, we'll move on before anyone else starts uh, throwing the toys at the pram, clearly. Uh, we'll look at Newcastle United. They also got off to a good start this season. Uh, they beat West Ham 2-0 at the London Stadium. Struan, Newcastle's new boys settled in very nicely. Callum Wilson opened his Newcastle account with a goal. Jeff Hendrick looked very good scoring and assisting the Wilson goal. And Jamal Lewis played a solid debut at left-back. With Ryan Fraser uh, due to come in in a starting role, you would think... Uh, how well can the Magpies do this season with all these new additions gelling almost instantly? I think I think they'll have a good season. I, th- I think Graham's made the point on the previous, and I think it's a very good point that Newcastle were quite lucky last season in in getting to where they were. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure how much they'll improve on that position, but I think they'll just be a much better team to watch. I think the football they'll play will be a lot better. And one of, one of the things I do think is I think Steve Bruce deserves a lot of credit. I think from the moment he came in last season, he was just doubted. You know. You know, he's not going to do any better than Benitez, you know. But I, th- I think his signing's been fantastic as well. Apparently, Joe Linton wasn't necessarily his signing, mm-hmm. who, by all accounts, was probably the flop of the season last year, and I think that was shown by the club spending another £20 million on another striker, and most of the time they will play one striker. But on that, I think playing him with Andy Carroll actually worked quite well. Mm-hmm. I think it's your, it's, it's your, your classic two strikers, you know, a, a tall man who can win the ball, and a small, quicker one who can run in behind and stuff like almost Crouch Defoe-esque, and we've seen in Tottenham in the past, I think. I think it's just very interesting. I think Newcastle this season have got one of the most exciting front threes in St. Maximin, Wilson, and Brian Fraser, mm-hmm. and other players in and around them like Hendrick, Almiron. I think it's just I think it's just going to be a really fun team to watch. I think Jamal Lewis as well, left-back, is, is a fantastic signing. I mean, Liverpool wanted him. I don't think you need to say anything else to you know, express how good a left-back he mm-hmm. is, but... Yeah, I think Newcastle will be a very entertaining team to watch. I think they've got just really hit, almost hidden gems would be the term I'd use across the team. Like like Dubravko, I think is a very good goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Players like John Joe Shelby, I don't think gets... I'm not I'm not saying he's, he's fantastic, but I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. The Longstaff brothers are... They look good at times. And I, and I think just the front three, as I mentioned, I think is probably going to be one of the most exciting. I mean, on the counter-attack, I think that'll just be fluid. It'll be, it'll be beautiful. It's odd to think of a Newcastle side yeah. managed by Steve Bruce and owned by Mike Ashley that we're considering as an entertaining side to watch. Mm. It just doesn't seem to add up whatsoever. Uh, on the other hand of that game, West Hand looked absolutely woeful. Uh, they've really had no significant addition to the squad. They've had more outgoings than they have incomings. And they're relying heavily on their post-lockdown form to carry them as far as possible. But that was the form that still wavered at times and saw them survive by the skin of their teeth. Uh, Sean, despite 
a fairly poor performance on Saturday night. Uh, Declan Rice, we all know his quality and know he would be a real loss for West Ham should he go. And if he does go, as it's been rumoured uh, throughout the window, is relegation all too real possibility for West Ham this season? Um, I think Declan Rice would be a, a big loss to West Ham, but I'm one of these people who I really don't get the Declan Rice hype. I'm not... I, I'm not convinced mm. by him at all. I don't, maybe I haven't seen enough of him, but I just mm. I don't. It, it never stands out to me. And obviously, there was a, a Twitter confirmation of his of his performance on Saturday. It's quite entertaining, was, to be honest. It was, it was pretty good. Um, and just the fact that he sort of seems to be England's starting number six is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in saying that, I do think he's um, one of the better players in this West Ham side, so it would be a big loss. Um, I'm not. Uh, hopeful about West Ham's chances this season I just think um, David Moyes is as we've said before he's an uninspiring man to have in charge there's not much going on in terms of excitement in the squad Jared Bourne looked good in the restart but um, he's still young can he sort of carry through a team like West Ham in the Premier League so I think it'll be a long season for them uh, yeah I think I think just the less said about West Ham just now the better and, would uh, you be happy with Declan Rice at Chelsea Jack? Because for the, I mean, the money you're going to pay, you could surely get a better player than Declan Rice, I think. I, I think Calvin Phillips. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I d- no, I do agree and with that. And I think that, like the European market as well. Exactly. I completely agree. 50 million for Declan Rice? Yeah, like, I know. Yeah. You already have good midfield options anyway, so it's not even that. If he's going to play centre-back, he's not played there for a number of years yeah. now. And he's just, I, I don't know, I, I think the fact he's English, he's young. There was obviously, I think... It was. It needs to fit the story for him to do well because he made that controversial switch from Ireland. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of stock in Declan Rice doing well, but for me, he's just he's not the player that a lot of people make him out to be. I, I yeah, said I agree in the group chat and on the day that I, I still can't decide if I think he's good or not. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, it's, I agree. It's one with that, of them. Yeah. I mean, so he, it's almost like a big fish in a little pond, and if you put him in with the big fish, will he sink or do well? Sink that says a lot about West Ham that they're big fish as a defensive midfielder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I think it tells you everything you need to know about this West Ham yeah, team, especially or certainly the eleven that started, Anderson and another yeah. forty on Haller, mm. who both were on the bench. And the like, less uh, the less said about Fornals, the better, because Jamie's just kind of uh, don't something. say that name. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do agree. I think for the money that Chelsea are looking to pay for Rice, I think there are better options available. Uh, Calvin Phillips, I would probably take him over Rice, but I think. I think Chelsea are trying to build a team of players that want to play for the club and play for the badge and everything like that just now. And considering that Rice had been at the club as a as a kid and he'd been released at the age of 14 and then pushed on, still did well in football, got into the England squad. I think that's why that's really the main yeah. reason they want to bring him back. I'm not, I'm not sure I've seen an interview with Declan Rice where Chelsea isn't mentioned at least once or, or his time at Chelsea. It's one of the, or Mason mm-hmm. Mount. He, he, the, then the players are pushing the agenda as well. I think... Uh, Declan Rice was within minutes. He was liking the announcement videos for the new signings at Chelsea. So I think I think he he's him and, him and Chelsea are clearly having a bit of a flirtationship at the moment. So I, I don't I don't know if it'll go well or not. If it, if he does come in, I'm interested to see because I wouldn't really displace any of the midfielders. That I've Will got he be in my better mind. than Kante? Do you think? No, I think that's probably how it should there's be. Still... I know there's a massive age difference, but is is fifty million? Is he going to improve the team? No. Where that fifty million could potentially go to like a Donnarumma or someone in net. That's a big headache for. Half. 
for Chelsea already. I mean, Jack said it on uh, a podcast last week that he would go with Kante, Mount and Havertz, which yep. is leaving out Kovacic, who was Chelsea's player of the season last year. Mm-hmm. So if you've already got problems like that, why do you need to bring, bring in a, I know. A, a player who I think is overpriced? And I think if you look at it in three years' time, Billy Gilmore will be viewed as a better player than Declan Rice, so why bother? No, that's a very good point. And the fact that Lampard seemingly keeping the faith in Billy Gilmore, giving him Batshuayi's old number and keeping him involved with the squad, even if he's still on an injury just now, I think that says a lot about what Lampard thinks of Gilmore at 18, 19 years old. So, I, I don't know, it's, it's an odd one for me as well. Ampadu, I've got a lot of time for Ampadu. I think he's a very good player. I'm excited to see him at Sheffield United this season if he does get the game time. But who knows, to be honest. I, I, I don't necessarily... Agree with the transfer. I'm not. I'm not overly enamoured by it. But if if it works out, it works out. If not, then it's just another one that will go down as a bit of a failure for Chelsea. But I guess if if the club have spent forty million on Danny Drinkwater, fifty on Rice, <laughs> it isn't going to be too much of a of an issue. Uh, not wrong. We have spent money in worse places in the past. I mean, Danny Drinkwater is the, the obvious the obvious candidate. Uh just. To uh, kind of bring the Premier League section to a close at the time of recording, of course, Sheffield United, Wolves and Brighton, Chelsea are yet to be played. But I think most of us, in term for our own selfish fancy Premier League desires, are hoping that Werner and Havertz, or at least one of the two, is going to do well tonight yeah. and get off the best possible start that they can. Uh, I'm, it's probably the most excited I've been for a Chelsea game in a long, long time. And yeah. hopefully the performance reflects my... Uh, hopefulness for, for the game uh, we're going to wrap up the show now with a segment that I'm calling the last ditch challenge as we're attempting to catch all the biggest stories from around Europe before they pass us by firstly I want to talk about the increasingly ugly scenes in Le Classique last night a match that saw 14 yellow cards produced with five players being sent off one of those five dismissed being Neymar he was caught in VR striking our Marseille defender Alvaro Gonzalez in the back of the head. But as he left the pitch, he made note to the fourth official of racist, co- racist comments sorry, uh, being made by Gonzalez. And after the game, he was quoted to say that he only regretted not hitting the Marseille defender in the face. Struan, the situation has brought about a lot of chatter, f- from, in my eyes, for the wrong reasons, because no, no one exactly knows what happened uh, to a T, with some speculating that Neymar is just a being a bad loser and trying to shift the blame to someone else. And Gonzalez himself tweeted something similar in his own defence, as anyone would. But for me, I really struggle to think that the way the, with the way the world currently is, Neymar would really go out on a limb and make an allegation like that and fabricate it completely. I, don't, I think there really is truth to it, and I think there really should be action taken. But I, I don't know, that's just me. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree with everything you said there. I, d- I don't think Neymar would make an accusation like that if he didn't have a reason to. I think, I mean, y- you hate to see stuff like that happening in the game, and I don't mean a scrap. I mean, if there is racial abuse, it's, you just can't be having it, especially. Mm-hmm. And I think it's completely overshadowed. You know, Mar- Marseille beating PSG 1-0 should be, should be as I say, it's a huge result, you know, really in the, in the classic, I think. I don't, especially First PSG time in 10 years, I think they said last night, away from home or something, they'd won at the Parc mm-hmm. de Prince, I think they said. It's- crazy but looking back we'll, we'll never remember to, I think it was Tovan scored the goal and won the victory I think we'll just remember the, the ugly aftermath that followed it and I, I think I think there's a lot more to come from this story but yeah, at the agreed. moment I, it's, just, it's, just, it's just not nice to see really it's definitely not an open shut case and all we can really hope for just now is that the guilty parties are appropriately punished for whichever uh, acts they have uh, caused uh, 
just moving on from that, I mean, we try and cover. We're going to try and cover European football more in this final segment. But I did want to touch on a massive story from the Women's Super League this weekend. Uh, Alex Morgan joining Spurs on a short-term deal. I mean, Morgan, she's been one of the faces of the women's game for years and really does bring star power and quality to a league, which is already evolving to that standard. Uh, Jamie, I mean, with players like Morgan joining Spurs and players of similar prestige like Lucy Bronze, Peril Harder and Tobin Heath joining the league as well across the window, could this be a season that we see a real spike in viewership for the women's game, which realistically does deserve it by this point? It is growing, definitely. Ever since the kind of World Cup, I think it has it has started to grow a lot more. I think it's uh, America, obviously, as you said, have always been been very good with the women's team. And I think, am I right in saying France are also very good? Yeah, no, um, I, think, yeah I, think. I think that I think those two were kind of always the look. I'm taking this from one of the FIFAs where they had the, a couple of the women's teams, and I think they only had two. And I think it was America and and France were the two best ones or something. So that's where I'm getting my knowledge from. I have to say, I really, I really haven't followed the the women's game as much as yourself and and Struan have. Um, but ever since the World Cup, it definitely is starting to get more recognition, which is which is great to see. And I think, as you say, with with signings like that, then uh, I'm sure the the uh, the league will will continue to grow in this country. As much or, as sorry, this country being the UK. <laughs> as much as the big signings are fantastic for the WSL, I think it's still so problematic when you have huge scorelines every week. Because you just can't get invested in a product if it's going to be 9-0, 9-1, 7-0. And that's going to be mm-hmm. routinely going to happen. I mean, already had Chelsea won, what, 9-1? Nine, 9-0, yes. 9-0 with nine yeah. different goal scorers. Um, I think that's just, so I think there's been three scorelines already in the WSL that have had nine goals to one team. And it's just, as much as, it's, just a, it's, not, it's not anyone's fault, it's just the mm-hmm. fact that more money's been ploughed into a team like Chelsea have taken their women's team seriously for a lot longer than a, a lot of other clubs, which is a positive, but I just think it's hard to really get invested in a game or the, the league as a product as a whole when you've got just such a disparity in quality. I don't, I don't understand yeah. that, and people have made the same point, especially after those 9-0 results. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's an instant response that we do have now, and I know no Southampton fan is going to thank me for this. But if someone says you would you wouldn't see nine 0 in the men's game, that that's been the biggest criticism of women's football in recent memory anyway. That oh the quality's that bad, you wouldn't see that in the men's game. Leicester beat Southampton nine yeah. nil in, in a Premier League season. Like I don't I don't understand the I, I can understand the point that Sean's making in the sense that because it's such a common aspect of women's football at the moment, it would be a bit harder to take it as seriously, but yeah. It's it's still a professional sport at the end of the day, and there are just going to be those results that, um, and those seasons that teams just run away with it. I mean, yeah. Liverpool get um, Liverpool hardly drop points. Arsenal have had an invincible season in the past. I mean, Chelsea conceded fifteen goals in a season back in the day. So I mean, there, there's always going to be a, a quality disparity in some sense of the word in sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. how champions are made because they are the best out of the. 20 teams in the league and that would go to show a quality disparity between uh, 1st and 20th so I don't know I don't know, I don't know. It's, no. I, I'm, I'm more excited this season about women's football than I have been just because of the kind of bigger names arriving in England to try and really up the competitive edge and I think it is just le- you'd be less likely to see a 9-0 again between City and Chelsea than you would Chelsea and Bristol City which was a game mm. on the weekend yeah, you also had a nine-one on Saturday as well. I yeah. think Arsenal beat West Ham nine-one mm. or something. 
that, like you said, that was my point. That I'm not saying that this is uh, exclusive to the women's game because obviously we've seen big scrollings before. But I just think if it's routinely happening, then are, is someone going to tune in and watch one team just completely dismantle another one? Or uh, when, when you get to the sort of the Chelsea Man Cities, the Chelsea Man United, um, Manchester derbies this season should be fantastic. The women's game, I think mm-hmm. the viewership rightly will be higher for those games and we all look forward to them but I just mean if you're consistently seeing these massive scrollings it's hard to get as invested as I would like people to be in the women's game I, th- I think it, because it is still such a kind of young game I suppose you could say it's, still, mm-hmm. it's not got the kind of deep-rooted history that men's football does so it is still, it is still growing of course and there's still a lot of problems to iron out but I think, I think it's moving in the right direction personally was it not still illegal for women to play football in something mad like the mid-1900s or something like that in the UK? It really wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it so impressive that we're, that um, the game in England now, the WSL, you could arguably say, is now getting up there as one of the best women's leagues in the world. So it is great to see like just all this attention uh, just down the road and a good few Scottish players making the mark. Evan Cuthbert mm-hmm. got two assists on um, Sunday. So, yeah, good to see. Yeah. Speaking of Scotland and the women's game, I think as Jamie mentioned previously, the World Cup, seeing Scotland qualify for that, was it was the first time Scotland qualified for a major tournament in football in, in my lifetime, certainly. And I think, yeah. I, think, I think that was massive for getting, just just, Scot- just Scotland I'm speaking about, getting the interest there, because I think a lot mm. of people tuned in because oh, we, can, we can watch our nation, and I think a lot of people just got admiration for the sport from that as well. I think the World Cup definitely kick-started. It, it certainly yeah. did mine, as you say, purely from a, from a Scotland perspective. I'm not going to lie and pretend that I watched every game because I didn't but I, mm. I certainly watched the Scotland games just purely out of mm-hmm. um, out of interest because it was my home nation which I think is, is fair enough it certainly kick-started the, the women's uh, the women's game in this country I would say certainly giving it a, a good boost a good leg up so mm. as you say certainly moving in the right direction Jack and I think a game a week's to be shown on the BBC Sport Scotland website from the season from the WSPL. So yes, uh-huh. that'll be fantastic to see that there'll be routine access for everyone so we can see our club sides uh, compete up here. I mean, we already had it, I suppose, in the, the first week of the last season, which is now the new season because it's all getting redone. Uh, it was Hibs Spartans that uh, I was at uh, for Hibs and the BBC were there and it, was, it seemed to draw a bigger crowd than there were there was a like more atmosphere than I'd seen at a Hibs game because it was televised and because it had been garnering that bit more attention. So, I think I think it really it really is all stepping in the right direction for further coverage and further investment into the women's game, which is good to see, and I hope it continues for a long, long time uh, from now. Uh, finally, just to wrap up, I just want a quick note on La Liga with the Spanish top flight getting back underway this weekend as well. Uh, the Lionel Messi saga seems to be over for now with Barca's captain making his first appearance back at the club since refusing to train for a couple of weeks to try and force a move. Sean, to me, the Messi situation isn't over in the slightest. He's only agreed to stay for one final year. To me, it kind of seems as though he's broken up with his ex, but he hasn't uh, taken his name off the lease yet, so he has to stick around <laughs> until it runs out. Uh, could you see a magical farewell for Messi next summer off the back of a trophy-laden season, or could you see Barcelona going through the ringer like they have done in years previously? It's going to be an interesting one because in that interview that he did with Goal, it seemed really like he, he was just resigned to the fact that he had to stay. It wasn't mm-hmm. that um, relations had been improved or his mind had been changed. It was, I just can't get out of my contract, so I'm, I'm still going to be here for another year. And it would, it would be, just be odd to see, will his motivation be there? Um, will he be able to 
perform to the standards that we all hold them to. It'll be massively entertaining to, to watch. And I'm not massively impressed by the appointment of Ronald Koeman. No. It's going to be a, a, a season of transition, I think, for Barcelona. So um, I can imagine it kind of all petering out for Messi at Barcelona if this is to be his last season. Uh, just you, you would want you would want a Netflix camera in there for for a last dance esque oh, uh, documentary. At what point does he turn to the camera and claim that he took something personally? That that's what I'm really hoping for <laughs> at some point uh, in the coming season. I think as well it does add an element of excitement to um, next summer's window because if he is going to be out of contract, a lot of clubs, while they might not have been able to pay. A transfer fee and wages, clubs might find it more affordable to pay his wages despite the fact they will be a lot higher. I mean, City were the only club really quoted to be able to offer money and wages, but if you bring them into the equation, PSG would have money for wages, Manchester United as well, perhaps Bayern Munich, Juventus. It could be a real battle to see who could secure Messi's services. And as well with reports uh, earlier in the week from the Sunday Times that um, Kylian Mbappe has informed PSG that he is looking to leave come the end of this season now. It really could be a massive window for at both ends of the quality spectrum in terms of almost the, the replacement for Messi and Ronaldo and then Messi himself. So there could be a lot of interest in next summer's transfer window from a lot of the top clubs in Europe. There's also going to be the Erling Haaland release clause and likely Jadon Sancho's departure as well, just for two more upcoming Yeah, very, true, very Dortmund, good point. So. Very good point. I, th- I think one of the things with Messi is I think La Liga would miss Messi as well. Absolutely. As much yeah. as if you're a fan of, I don't know, just take Valencia, you know, as much as you hate coming up against Messi, if that if, if the league loses Ronaldo and Messi within the space of two years, I think the interest would drop off massively, even mm-hmm. though Barcelona and Real Madrid are arguably the two biggest clubs in the world. I just don't think El Clasico would have that. It's not Messi versus Ronaldo anymore. And even though, in yeah, a sense, I think when Ronaldo left as well. That yeah, yeah. It, was, it took a bit kind of fall off and just interest yeah, at that spot point. On. Yeah, I, I, I think if if it was to lose Messi as well, I think I think all of La Liga would want him to stay. And if he does go next year, I think as you'd mentioned Mbappe, I think both clubs would be determined to get. I think probably one would go for Mbappe, one would go for a Sancho, a Haaland. I think they'd need those superstars, those galactical names, because mm-hmm. otherwise, I think a lot of people would just totally lose interest. And in I think Messi and Ronaldo bring so much. And I, and I think like from my point of view personally, I was never too interested in the Italian league until Ronaldo moved in which case I have watched a few Juventus games as of recently and I think that oh here we go here's another new team (laughs) (laughs) Juventus fan as well goodness old lady (laughs) but uh, I think yeah I I think with Manchester City sorry with Messi if he was to go to a team like Manchester City I think it would bring a lot of attraction to the Premier League if he was to go to PSG I think it would bring attraction there of course and I think another another loss to La Liga as well would be Neymar from three seasons ago oh yeah losing Ronaldo and now losing Messi I think it would just be a massive loss that they would they would need to reinforce and get massive signs. And at, at the moment, Barcelona have been linked to Wijnaldum and Memphis Depay, who, no offence to either of them, are not exactly the galactical superstars who are going to... No. I mean, I don't think... I think you're absolutely spot on there. I think you're absolutely spot on there. And I think that the one thing I would just say to wrap it up is that, that when Ronaldo went to Juventus, I seem to remember that there was some crazy statistic about the, the number of shirts that they'd sold with Ronaldo on the back, it was like a record number of Juventus shirts sold for a season or something. I think Juventus like, will almost on the back and... sold shirts in the past couple of seasons. Was it that? Yeah. Uh, it was some... I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like that, that they sold like a record number of shirts solely because Ronaldo had gone there. 
I mean, I mean, it really does become your your team would just get a boost regardless from a player of that stature, that caliber being brought into a club. I mean, could you imagine uh, just how how many more seats would be filled every week at the Etihad if Messi was there every week? I mean, that that is the old joke that uh, the Etihad is it. It's always lacking fans. It's an empty stadium, but Messi yeah, there, Messi there, sold out every week. I, I can I can guarantee you that because him and Ronaldo are. The, Two of the best players to ever play the game, not well, not the, not the last couple of years, according to some people on extra time, but um, <laughs> but it, it's they, they do really bring um, kind of legendary status with them wherever they go. It's the it factor, isn't it? it it's really is. It just as the Messi Ronaldo factor, no matter what way you look at it. I can't, I can't believe we've ended up talking about next summer's transfer window when we've not even finished this one. That that's what that's what we're reaching for here at uh, the football roundup. And, well, like Bollingoli and Celtic, we will leave you there for now. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup. Be sure to, to subscribe to Energy Sports Podcast feed whenever you get yours and follow us over on Twitter at ENRG Sport to keep up to date with all of our sports content. Thank you very much to Struent, Jamie and Sean for joining me today. Be sure to check out Extra Time and the Fantasy Ramble later in the week. But until then, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.